InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. When things go bad at work, is your first tendency to point the finger of blame at others? And what about when things go right? Do you try grabbing some credit? An expert says these behaviors may boomerang on you in a bad way. With more, here's InfoTrack's Taryn McCall. Taryn? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is psychologist and workplace consultant Ben Datner. He's the author of The Blame Game, How the Hidden Rules of Credit and Blame Determine Our Success and Failure. Ben, welcome to InfoTrack. Thanks. Good to be with you. Corporate politics have been around for as long as corporations have been around. So why do you think assigning blame to someone in the workplace is so toxic? It's contagious. If people start focusing on blame, they stop focusing on problem solving. Everybody becomes much more concerned about covering themselves rather than learning, growing, or moving forward. And there's a little bit of an analogy to the credit crunch or the credit crisis, which is when people in the workplace give credit to each other, they're likely to put themselves out to help each other, to be good organizational citizens, and to take the risk that I'm going to help you today and you're going to reciprocate tomorrow. But when there's too much blame, it can really sink entire organizational cultures. How is assigning blame different than holding someone accountable for their performance? The thing about blame, which makes it different than accountability, is accountability is if you're a salesman and you don't meet your numbers, or if you're a scientist and you don't finish your project on time, etc., it's one thing for there to be consequences. It's another thing for there to be blame. And what blame is really about is it's less about behavior and performance and it's more about character. It's more personal. If I blame you, I'm holding you responsible. I'm basically saying it was your intention. It was deliberate on your part. And it really becomes kind of a generalization. Can you give us an example of the blame game? Sure. One story I tell, and this is on the positive side, is about an investment banker who, when the bonuses were handed out to his staff, he saw that one of his people had been underpaid. And he really felt it was unfair. And he went to HR and he went to his manager and said, we really need to make up this shortfall for my valued employee. But HR and the boss did not support him. So instead, my client, Rob, personally took $25,000 of his own bonus money in order to fairly compensate his subordinate, Brian. And so he paid him. And it was so publicly noted and lauded by so many employees at this company, they felt like, wow, here's a manager who really put a member of his staff first. And he got so much positive buzz and so much positive regard from all the people. Everybody wanted to work with him. He ended up getting promoted the next year and made about a million bucks more. So he thinks he got a return of about 40 to 1 on that investment that he made. Assigning blame is something that happens at every level of a company, right? It can happen in the CEO's office or at the mailroom level. That's right. Unfortunately, blame can cascade up, down, and across. We can blame ourselves. We can credit ourselves. We can blame or credit others. So it's a dynamic in our own careers with any professional partnership or relationship that we have. Credit and blame also impact the dynamics within teams and between teams and entire organizational cultures. And the reason why I think the topic is timely is, unfortunately, there's really been much more blame currently in corporate America than ever previously. And I think it's because people are under stress and because trust and what we call the psychological contract has truly eroded, unfortunately, in too many places. And with the economy in its current state, many people feel trapped in jobs when they might otherwise just pick up and move to a different company. That's right. You know, there's a pendulum, there's a balance of power. 
that goes back and forth between employees and organizations depending on the state of the economy. In 1999, if you were a Java programmer in Silicon Valley, you would get only credit. You probably wouldn't be blamed for anything. You could come and go as you pleased. You could bring your pet. You didn't have to shower. You didn't have to groom yourself. If you were a Java programmer, you could write your own ticket. Then after the dot-com crash, suddenly you would get a lot less credit, a lot less leeway, a lot less money, and be blamed a lot more. So there's a sort of situational component to all of this and even a historical component. We're talking with Ben Datner, author of The Blame Game, How the Hidden Rules of Credit and Blame Determine Our Success and Failure. So let's talk about solutions, Ben. Is this a problem that has to be dealt with by the CEO, or can someone who works in middle or even lower management make a difference? Well, certainly it's easier if leaders themselves set a good example. And what great leaders do is they take blame on themselves and they share credit with other people. It demonstrates their own orientation to learning, and it also motivates the people below them. That said, it doesn't matter at what stage you are in your career or at what level you are of your organization. Everybody has an opportunity to be more reflective and to be less self-serving and to set a positive example for others. From a psychological standpoint, there is something in human nature that compels us to blame others when something fails and not necessarily to give credit when something goes right, isn't there? That's absolutely true. We all were bred by evolution to see the world through self-serving, rose-tinted glasses. If we do something, we think it's the greatest accomplishment in the world. If a coworker did exactly the same thing, we have a very hard time acknowledging that he or she did a good job. What are a couple of steps that leaders of any type of organization can take to foster a better workplace atmosphere? One thing that they can do is, first of all, be aware of the social and psychological tendencies. But there are certain procedural things that you can do. So, for example, you can assign a devil's advocate in team meetings. And that way, if somebody is arguing against the group consensus, he or she won't be scapegoated or marginalized or blamed. And sometimes you can even structure debates where you say, all right, this is really a hot potato. Should we do X strategy or should we do Y strategy? And so what you can do is you can assign people randomly. You guys are arguing for X. You guys are arguing for Y. And as your leader, I'm really encouraging you to vigorously argue for whatever point of view you've been randomly assigned because that will help us get to a better decision. So great leaders don't take it personally when people give them feedback they really look at the mission. It seems like this blame game could be applied to relationships, sports, government. These principles could apply to almost any aspect of life, couldn't they? Absolutely. People are people wherever they go. And in the book, I briefly talk about athletes, for example, and there's some cross-cultural differences. So when an American athlete wins something, he or she is likely to use the word I, I did this, I achieved that, I had a good game today. A Japanese athlete, on the other hand, even in the same sport, is more likely to say it was my coach, it was my family, it was my town, it was my community. We we won this. So people really see things through different lenses. Ben Datner, author of The Blame Game, How the Hidden Rules of Credit and Blame Determine Our Success and Failure. Ben's website is at creditandblame.com. Ben, thanks for joining us. Thanks. It was great to be with you. I'm Darren McCall for InfoTrack. You're listening to InfoTrack. The weekly show with information you should know. A production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.